Thank you. Uh, just go back to uh, that song, Only a Holy God. Do you like the line, what other power can raise the dead? There's a thing you might like to say to your friend, what other power uh, can raise the dead? Before we look at that uh, part of the Bible and what God has to say to us, I'll pray. Our Lord and God, we do pray for our time together now. Please speak to us through your word. Uh, please help us to see how you care for us through Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a while ago, our family, uh, my wife Karen, uh, then with our three young kids, we were on holidays uh, down at Sussex Inlet on the, uh, the south coast. The place, a lovely spot by the way, uh, the place where we were staying had a small boat and uh, we'd often use that boat to go fishing or to explore the lakes and channels in that uh, part of the world. One, is, one sunny day, we thought we would hop in the boat and explore St George's Basin, uh, which is to the north of Sussex Inlet. Uh, we set off and it was all good until we rounded a point and entered into the large lake known as the Basin. All of a sudden, the wind was absolutely howling. Uh, our journey to the lake had been along a, a narrow protected channel. It was protected from this fierce wind by heavily forested sand dunes. But now in the exposed lake, the conditions, man, they were wild. Uh, quite quickly, waves were breaking over the front of the boat and we had to turn around. The thing was, I was worried that if I did manage to turn around, as I got the boat sideways, we could easily be swamped or even capsized. Uh, and it, but it was obvious. There was no future in going forward. I had to turn around. And with Karen and our three kids in the boat, I've got to tell you, even the heart's beating now, it was a terrifying moment. So I tried to pick a time when the wind stopped a bit and when there were some smaller waves. Thankfully, um, the fact that I'm here now, we, we did manage to turn around and we got back into the calm of the protected channel. But remembering it now, man... Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> you know, it's one of those huge adrenaline moments. It was just horrible. Uh, we had no idea those conditions were coming. It just all of a sudden, it was so quick. Calm, chaos. But yet often, isn't life like that? The unexpected wind and waves of life coming from all directions. They threaten to swamp us. They threaten to capsize us. As uh, Josh said, Karen and I were at our previous church for over 20 years. And wow, how good was that? Fantastic, wonderful privilege to get to know so many people in the church, to get, so, to, get to know so many people in our, in our suburb. Now, in our time there, it was not unusual for us to have conversations with a mum or a dad, a husband, a wife, a grandparent, a young man, a young woman, trying to come to terms with some unexpected chaos which had come from nowhere. An unexpected diagnosis, a sudden accident, a job loss, an unexpected relationship breakdown, the uncovering of terribly bad news, an unexpected financial crisis, the death of someone that they loved. Now, all these things, they can bring fear, uncertainty, anxiety, even depression. And as these wind and waves grow, they take their toll and it can shake our world. It can threaten to swamp us. And so often, as Karen and I 
were sitting listening to these people, they would ask, and it might be you asking right now, does God care? Does God care? It's a very real question. Uh, in the chaos and uncertainty of a storm-tossed life, people, uh, you know, even you know, as you sit there, you want to know. You want to know, does God care? And as your friend or your neighbour, a family member, a work colleague is just pouring out their heart of the wind and waves, this massive storm's blowing up in their life, you're patiently listening to them and they ask, does God care? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? What can you say to help uh, calm the growing fear, the doubt, the, the anxiety, the uncertainty as they try to come to terms uh, with the storm in their life? Now, there are many reasons I, why I love that uh, Bible reading from Mark 4. Uh, there are two in particular, two in particular. Firstly, and I think we should be encouraged by this, the Bible is never, never, ever afraid it never backs away from asking the hard questions, the challenging questions that you and I have. So right here, the disciples, they're in this furious storm and they are terrified. Uh, as their boat is nearly swamped like ours was back in St George's Basin, they panic. And they put this big question to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we die? Don't you care? That's one of the big questions our world asks. Uh, am I just some floating piece of driftwood cast about in this stormy sea of life and I'll one day sink to the bottom and I'll soon be forgotten and no one will remember me, no one will notice? Or is there something or someone out there who cares for me? Big question. Second reason I love it is that what Jesus does and what Jesus says, it's a wonderful, practical, powerful demonstration of how we can be confident that indeed God does care. What do I mean? Well, in these few moments now, let's have a closer look at what is said and what happens in that fishing boat from all those years ago. Now, we know from the context that this storm, as was said, uh, that this storm takes place on the Sea of Galilee. It's a real place. There's the Sea of Galilee coming up on the screen. There's the Sea of Galilee. And these are the remains of an actual first century fishing boat that was recently discovered in the mud of the shallows of that inland sea. It was found in the same area where the events that we've read about took place. But not only that, we know that Jesus and his disciples would have been in a boat pretty much, I don't know which screen you're looking at, that one or that one, they would have been pretty much in a boat like that. A few years ago, Karen and I were actually fortunate enough to visit the Sea of Galilee and we went sailing on a boat, much calmer sea, let me tell you. Now why do I say this? I say this because we need to be reminded that we're talking about real events. We're talking about real events that happen to real people in a real place at a real point in time. And as you would have heard in recent weeks in this series, the Bible is full of historical, verifiable eyewitness detail. Historical, verifiable 
eyewitness detail. It's written by people who were there. It's written by people who saw it happen. They say that. Luke tells us that in his gospel. The, uh, the Apostle John tells us that in his letters. The Apostle Peter tells us that in his letter. It's written by people who were there who saw what happened. But also it continually makes reference to others who were there, to others who saw it happen. It's kind of like, well, let me give you a simple example. Verse 36, did you, probably verse 36 just went past you. Did you notice verse 36? There were also other boats with him. Why does Mark tell us that? Well, he tells us that because there were other people who saw what happened. There were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses who could authenticate these events. Eyewitnesses who could talk about it later. They'd be sitting in their first century coffee shop. They'd be reminiscing. They'd be sitting around the dinner table in awe, remembering. Man, how about that day on the lake? Whew! That massive storm and Jesus, wow. He, he calmed the sea in the storm. He just did it with a word. It was amazing, wasn't it? Real people, real places, real events. Please do not be taken in by the cynics. The ever-increasing loud and dismissive voices, the influence of the TikTokers, the Facebookers, the movies, the articles, the conversations, who want to say that the Bible is a book of myths, a book of fairy tales. Please do not be taken in. If your friends are down that line, there's lots of stuff out there that you can sit down with them and have a look at this, have a read of this. Real people, real places, real events. Now, this must have been a massive storm. Uh, because a number of the disciples, they were fishermen, and they're used to the wind blowing, and in this storm, they panic. After our St George Basin experience, I can't blame them. Uh, they wake Jesus, crying out to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we're about to die? Massive question, and we'll think a bit more about that in a moment as we see how Jesus responds. In verse 39, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, why were the disciples afraid? Is Jesus' question a bit insensitive? I mean, who wouldn't be afraid in such a wild and furious storm? I remember how we, I still remember how we felt on St George's Basin. Now, often we're afraid, like with the disciples in the boat, when we don't feel safe. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. There's uncertainty. The future, it's not clear. And you know, we might try and bluff our way. You know, the great Australian response, the typical Australian response, many of you could say, she'll be right, mate. But deep down, often I, I talk with people who say, she'll be right, mate. Deep down, when they get you one-on-one, -on -one, they'll just say, I'm feeling pretty tense about it. And the anxiety builds. And you can say to them, well, what if it won't be right? What if, what if things don't work out? What if I'm sick? What if I lose my job? What if I'm on my own? They're all questions that people wrestle with. 
Uh, right back in 1947, the English poet W.H. Auden, he wrote a poem that became uh, quite famous. Now, you might not know the poem, but the title, The Age of Anxiety, and the theme of the poem uh, continue to echo throughout our world today. The poem centres on a conversation in a New York bar, 1947, New York bar, between four strangers, three men and a woman. Uh, the poem won a Pulitzer Prize for its description of the post-World War II world, a world that was turned upside down by war, a world where people felt as if they had little control to change things for the better. Now, this theme of a world turned upside down, a world out of control, like the waves and the storm, right here today. The 20th century closed, if you remember, it was the close of the 20th century. It closed with two world wars, many regional wars, a massive economic depression, and the tensions of living in a nuclear age with growing environmental issues. So people were looking forward to the 21st century. Oh, boy, I hope it's going to be better. There's some optimism, you know, they're trying to be optimistic, they're trying to be positive, and as we ticked into the 21st century, well, no, that didn't happen. Anxiety continued to grow, despite the fact that we have more information and more technology available to us than ever before. What's the result? Well, the average suicide rate in the Western world grew by 35%. Our research tells us that millennials, so you're a millennial if you're born between 1981 and 1995, or the Gen Z, they're born between 1995 and 2012, they are more anxious than ever. And as a look around, there might be a few of you in the room. People are reporting an ever-increasing dissatisfaction with their lives. There's enormous pressure to live up to the unachievable standards continually thrown at us by the TikTok influencers and by the social media Facebook crowd. There's an ever-increasing busyness driven by our intense 24-hour, seven-day-a-week consumer society. We're sick, we're scared, we're emotionally drained in a world that is coming apart at the seams. People are looking for hope and purpose and moral guidance. There's an ever-increasing sense of isolation, and COVID didn't help that. You remember COVID? People are feeling alone and fearful. Uh, this is the theme of Green Day's song, written in 2004. You know Green Day, the boulevard of broken dreams. The lead singer, Billy Joe, sings, I walk alone. My shadow's the only one that walks besides me. Sometimes I wish someone out there will find me. Everywhere people are asking, does anyone care? Is there anyone out there who cares about me? We try to disguise it. We try to cover it up by filling our lives with pleasure, with entertainment, sometimes even covering it up with alcohol and drugs. We throw ourselves into work or sport or relationships or getting ourselves involved in causes. Now, often these are good things. They're worthy things. They're helpful things. But as I was saying earlier, the reality is they simply cannot do what we want them to do. They cannot take, they cannot give us certainty. They cannot deal with our anxiety. They can't take away our fear. 
They can't answer questions about the future. And if anything, as we see the pillars that we're leaning on, progressively as these pillars in our, that we've loved and cherished as they progressively fall away, we become even more anxious. And I wonder what it is that makes you anxious. What is it that makes you fearful? Well, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, the disciples, they're afraid because they think they're going to die. So what should we make of Jesus' questions? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Should the disciples have been afraid? Should the disciples, why, why should the disciples have had confidence or faith in Jesus? Should the, disciples, should the disciples have questioned whether Jesus cares? Now, at this point in Mark's account of Jesus, the disciples, despite what they've seen, we're in chapter 4, despite what they've seen so far of Jesus, what they've seen him do, what they've heard him say, they still don't understand who he is. Nor do they, they still don't understand what he's come to do. We, we know that because in verse 41, the disciples' question that closes this account, it makes us think, See the question on the mouth, on the, from the disciples? Who is this? That's what they say. Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Who is it that can control the wind and the waves? Who is it that can bring calm where there's chaos? Well, at the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, Mark, he's actually, it's like the heading over his word because he's already told us who he is writing about. Mark 1, verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's who Mark is writing about. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard Chris Edwards uh, talk about good news, the good news about the coming of Jesus. And what our Gospel writer Mark sets out to do is show us exactly why the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is good news and in verse after verse event after event we see jesus acting with the authority of god himself doing the things that only god could do what mark is telling us is that jesus his god himself come into our world to put things right to restore our relationship with god and he's showing us, Mark is showing us, that Jesus is the Son of God, God himself, come into our world, proving his love, proving his care for us, for you. As the Gospel of Mark unfolds, we see Jesus free a demon-possessed man from the horror and power of evil. We see Jesus heal a man with a horrible skin disease of leprosy. Uh, Jesus heals a paralysed man, enabling him to walk. But even bigger than that, more significantly, he forgives his sin. He takes away his guilt and he gives him peace with God. In this section that we've just read, we see Jesus' authority over the wind and waves, over creation itself. He brings calm from chaos. Uh, later in chapter 5, we even see Jesus' authority over death as he raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead, bringing her back to life. Who else has power to raise the dead? 
It's an anticipation, isn't it, of Jesus' own resurrection to come. And this is good news. This is great news. You don't see this at six o'clock. This is great news. What, what is Mark doing? Mark is pointing us to Jesus, God himself come into our world, declaring how God has made himself known to us in Jesus. See, when you, Mark is saying, when you know Jesus, you know God. In Jesus, we see God's love, God's kindness, God's compassion, God's care. Jesus demonstrates God's love, his care for our broken world. Sadly, the disciples, they haven't caught on yet. They're afraid, and that's why Jesus challenges their faith. It's if he's saying, of course I care for you. That's the whole reason I've come, because I care for you. Now, the disciples should have known that Jesus didn't come into our world to die in a boating accident on the Sea of Galilee. Mark's account of Jesus is heading towards the events we remember at Easter. Jesus' crucifixion at the hands of the ruling Roman authorities. And we must be clear, the cross is no accident of history. The cross is where Jesus, God himself in human form, most magnificently shows his love and care for us as he willingly lays down his life for us to bring us to God. Jesus willingly dies in our place so that you and I could be forgiven for not trusting God as we should or not honouring him as we should. And in Jesus' resurrection three days later, God again shows his care for us. Jesus' resurrection powerfully proves that death is not the end. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust him, you are guaranteed the promise of heaven, eternal life with God. If your friends are asking, if you are asking, does God care? The answer is yes, yes, yes. You want to know that God cares? Point them to Jesus. Point them to his life. Point them to his death. Point them to his resurrection. This is what you can talk about with your friends. Pray that God will open up opportunities to talk about that with your friends. But this is what you need to keep reminding yourself. Have conversations with yourself. Does God care? Yes, I see it in his life. I see it in his death. I see it in his resurrection. Don't want you to mishear me though. Doesn't mean that from time to time you won't experience the turmoil and the wind and waves in your life because you will. What it does mean, though, is that because you know Jesus, you need never fear. Just like in the boat with the disciples, so too Jesus cares. He's right there with us. He is in control. He is trustworthy. Uh, one of the great joys of our life is spending time with our seven uh, grandchildren. Fantastic, love it. Uh, a few years ago, we were minding our four-year-old Juliet and two-year-old Seth. We'd had dinner, bath, put them in their PJs, we're driving them home. We just set off, the car's quiet, there's no conversation, we hadn't said anything. All of a sudden, Juliet says, she's four, Jesus is my friend. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, that's great. Juliet continued... I never, 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 never 
have to be afraid because Jesus loves me. And you're just sort of feeling so good with it. Yeah, how good is that, I said. Juliet hadn't finished, though. Jesus will never put me in jail. <laughs> I, where, did, where did that come from? I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Juliet is right, isn't she? We need never, 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 never have to be afraid. Why? Because God cares for us. Do you, do you know that Jesus cares? Do you know that? And if you can say yes, how does knowing this, how does it make a difference for you? As you go home today, as you get up and head off into the week tomorrow, how, how is it making a difference in your life? How is it making a difference? Because I want to say that even in the face of the most severe wind and waves, faith in Jesus brings calm. It brings peace. And if you're someone who is already a Christian with your faith in Jesus, can I urge you keep on trusting him? Be confident. Jesus cares for you. As all this noise is going on around us in our world, please don't let the bright lights, the so-called attractions of this world, pull you away. And as you think about your friends and family, people you hang out with, work colleagues, people you have coffee with, as you have conversations with them, will you prayerfully look for opportunities to share with them the difference that knowing God uh, knowing God cares means for you. Prayerfully look for opportunities to just say a little bit about the difference that you know that God cares for you. What does it mean? And there might be others here today I want to ask, do you know this Jesus at all? Do you know his care for you? Do you know the peace and the joy, the confidence, the hope you can have as you put your faith in him? Some of you might, oh, no, I, I haven't, no, I don't know that. Well, if not, today is a great day to take that step of turning to him. So make a conscious decision to say, sorry for not giving him the place in your life that he rightly deserves. Say thank you for his care for you and resolve to follow him. Now, that's you. It'd be great to have a chat to Andrew or to Josh, one of the team, because we'd want to be able to give you some support to help you with that decision and to help you on your way. Does God care? Yes. How do you know? Look to Jesus. I'll lead us in prayer, then I'll hand this back to Josh. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and care for us so clearly seen in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Please help us to be confident of this. Please give us your peace. And we pray for our friends who are not sure of this. Please give us wisdom and boldness to talk with them about what Jesus has done. And we pray for our friends. Please open their blind eyes, unblock their deaf ears and soften their hard hearts so that they might be able to see Jesus and put their faith in him. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty, powerful name. Amen.